Welcome to the LT Guitarist Podcast, a show where I, musician and music educator Liam Taylor, share nuggets of truth from my life as a working musician, hopefully allowing all of you to make a living off of music as well. In fact, today we are sharing nuggets of truth from beatmaker, producer and podcaster Dan Lesac. This interview was published to YouTube in 2019, but you're about to hear a slightly less edited version. So there's new stuff here, even if you've heard it previously on YouTube. Oh, I kept saying nuggets and now I'm hungry. I'd like to thank Dan for his time. I've always enjoyed his solo music as well as his stuff with Scroobius Pip. And I really enjoy his podcast, Falling Forward with Dan Lesac. So this interview was a real treat for me. We talk about his background, what it means to be a musician in 2020, and big issues surrounding music distribution and copyright, which are likely to come up in the near future. I'd also like to shout out The Open in Norwich, a youth charity who were really helpful when I didn't have a venue to record this interview because it all sort of happened so fast. Please visit opennorwich.org.uk for more information on them. Here is my chat with Dan Lassac. Cake. You eat cake, so that if you hear the sound of someone eating cake, that's what that is. Feel free to sample that and use it in your own work, should you so choose. <laughs> Although it'll be slightly roomy cake. This is what we call a cold open, isn't it? You just sort of ease into it and it's actuality. I don't, I don't know the terms. This is how I, I could start be wrong. my podcast. <laughs> I hit record immediately as as soon as we're both sat down. Yeah, yeah. Just hit record and then you just talk and there's always a point where if you notice on mine, I fade in on the punchline. To a joke you don't hear. To a joke you don't hear. Yeah, yeah. Or like something just really tangentially out of, <laughs> out, of, out of context to the rest of it. It's kind of nice. I try not to do too much to it. Like very yeah. little editing. I do have to edit it. Yeah. You know, like I do have to be cautious of like the way, like last week we talked a lot about um, Joe Rogan. Yeah, yeah. And like him putting white supremacists on and yes. not really challenging them. Yeah, yeah. And does that make him, you know, <laughs> but we, the way in which we phrase some stuff out of context made sure. us, could have made us sound super racist. Yeah. So making sure it couldn't be cut out of context was yeah. really important. Well, that's true. People love sound bites, don't they? Mm. And headlines. Mm. Ugh. Kill them all! <laughs> Wait, what? What did he just say? So I'll do I'll do a more formal intro. Um, that will have already happened. Yeah, you don't need future. to introduce me to me. Yeah, I that's know true. You I know am. who you are. I've heard of myself. That's, that's good. Do you want to give us a really brief overview of who you are and what you do? My name's Dan Lassac. I used to be in a band called Dan Lassac versus Scroobius Pip. Uh, that ended in 2014. No, we're not going to do any more records. <laughs> Um, uh, after like nearly 10 years oh, wow, yeah. of working together. And I am a musician first, podcaster second. I now do really self-indulgent left field weirdness, um, which you can find on my Bandcamp and uh, Instagram, actually. I've yeah. got loads of clips on Instagram. It's all about Instagram now. Apparently, I don't know, I just, it's videos and yeah. they're short. It makes yeah. sense to me. Um, and I do game soundtracks here and there. I've done a couple for Mike Bithell. Mm. Bithell Studios, I don't know what they call it. You do a little bit of Twitch streaming as well? Or not so much these days? I, so I actually was at a, um, 
like a music industry conference this week. Oh yeah. To talk about Twitch. And I found it really funny. They invited me like three months after I decided to cut back dramatically. Because <laughs> I was doing Twitch full time. Right, yeah. Like 40, 50 hours a week. Mm. And it was just getting in the way of other stuff. Yeah. And although I was earning, I still wasn't earning enough to justify the hours. Yeah. So I, I kind of cut back. So now I just do, I do definitely one a week, mm. but I try to do two, just like six hour-ish streams yeah. a week. And it's partially for me as well, because that's about just talking to other humans. Yeah. But since I started the podcast back in March this year, I, I have the opportunity to talk to other humans and like leave the house. Today oh, I'm yeah, going to talk yeah. to two human beings. Wow, man. Potentially three. Oh, big day. Mm, I know. <laughs> first structural question, something which I'm asking everyone at the moment. Can you recall your first musical experience, whether positive, whether negative? First, like... First ever, the first time you encountered music and what did it do to you? I remember listening to Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds, but yeah, it's really kind of loose and uh, Mike Oldfield, Tubular Bells. Yeah. Like that stuff was just there and on, but I don't have like that moment mm -hmm. where I was, I'm listening to music, you know? Right, yeah, yeah. That didn't, I didn't really start relating to music in that way until my teens. Um, and then that was, there was a bit of that that was still about just trying to fit in with other people, mm, you know? Sure, yeah, oh, yeah. I, like, I like this band, oh, do you? I'll go listen to yeah, that yeah. band and I'll understand that band so I can be, we can be friends. <laughs> so I was at school in the 90s, so it was Pearl Jam, Nirvana. Mm. But yeah, I was into Depeche Mode. Right, yeah, Because yeah. I come from Essex <laughs> and they came from down the road and yeah. Joy Division and New Order and stuff, so. No one else at school gave a fuck about any of that. Yeah, yeah. Was there a moment that you thought music could be something that you would be more active in enjoying? Maybe it's something you wanted to try yourself? Kind of. Yeah. My cousin was a music producer. Um, he did loads of like music for adverts. Like okay. um, a really racist chocolate bar in Saudi Arabia. He did the music <laughs> to that advert. Was the music racist? The music was fine. Okay. It was just actually it the was, name. Okay, I think I know where you're going of with the that. Product. But yeah, no, it was all my cousin Billy. I've said Interesting. it. Like he gets mentioned in every bit of every liner notes of the Dan and Pip albums yeah. and stuff. He was making music and I kind of got into it. I'm not a very dexterous person. Sure. So drum machines and stuff gave me a way in. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm left-handed. My teacher at school tried to teach me guitar right-handed. Yeah. Which was Why difficult. do they do that? Just flip it, man. I was trying to think about that the other day. My left hand being the fretboard hand makes mm. loads of sense now. Yes, yeah, yeah. I've got a mate who's a kick-ass bassist who is left-handed but plays a short-scale right-handed bass. But because all of his stuff is kind of pop and slap based, I think he finds that easy because it's all in his picking hand rather than his fretting hand, I guess. So mm. that works for that style, but he's like the only person I know that's had like massive success. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But yeah, it was one of those. So this kind of links into talking about Twitch earlier and maybe this conference that you went to. In um, very nearly in 2020, the word musician basically is a shorthand for someone who's doing 
a million side hustles and a variety of side hustles. And I mean, I'm doing it too. My day job's in music education. I do YouTube, I do bits of podcasting, yada, yada, all this different stuff. I think you're the same because you're podcasting, Twitch every now and again. Yeah. Some actual music creation from time to time. Occasionally. And are you still doing photography? So, yeah, I, I still teach photography. Yeah. Um, it's only once a month. Sure. I work with a photographer. We kind of trade off his name because he's got gotcha. a very particular style. Yeah. But I wonder if you have any insight into why it is that we're doing so many different things and still kind of just calling ourselves musicians. Because we were before. Do you think? 10, 15 years ago when you could still make money selling CDs, mm. you still didn't make all your money selling CDs. Sure, you got yeah. out on the road and toured. Um, a lot of musicians would be doing session stuff for other bands. And it's, it's always been the side hustle. Mm. It's just because the actual selling of music is no longer viable other than Okay, if you're a solo artist, unsigned, minimum wage is 320,000 streams a month. Yeah. You know, if you're signed, double that because usually it's 50-50 deal yeah, these yeah. days. So, okay, we're getting up into the 700,000. So if there's two of you in the band and you're signed, that's <laughs> 1.4 million. If there's four of you, that's 2.8 million streams a month. Wow, you've done so much maths. Well, it's just stuff. But because the value of the music itself has diminished, you need a different set of side hustles. Yes. Yeah. You know, so I, I genuinely think that people were always hustling, were always sure. doing those additional things. It's just that technologically. Like how many evolved. indie bands were doing DJ sets? Yeah, true. We yeah, always yeah. think of that as part yeah. of the live thing, but that's part of the side hustle. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You know? So. It's that, on one hand, that you have to, uh, in the business terms, diversify. Yeah, yeah. You know? That's what it says in my notes. Good nice. stuff. Good stuff. But the, the other side of that is that there are side hustles that can keep, still keep you independent now. Yeah. You know, the side hustles 15 years ago all still interrelated to your label, agent, publisher, yeah, yeah. any of these people you'd sign contracts to. Whereas now, an artist can have their YouTube channel generating $5 a month and mm. have their this over here and they can control far bigger chunks of that. Mm. And I think it becomes really obvious when someone's side hustling because they've gravitated towards wanting to be able to control it rather yeah. than wanting to cash in. Yeah, you yeah. Know? I don't really make money from the podcast. Sure. I make a little bit from Twitch. I still make royalties from the Dan and Pip stuff. Of oh, course. Cool. I've not paid tax in like four <laughs> years because I haven't reached You're not enough to, yeah. You know, but that's fine. You it's know? very weird positive, but yeah, I do find myself thinking that. Do you have a songwriting process does your songwriting process differ depending on the project and has it changed over time? Kinda. Kinda? Yes, it differs. Yes, it's changed. Because um, you're doorless or you're experimenting with completely hardware-based stuff at the moment. Or is that more of like, a, let's see where this goes rather than, oh, there's money in this? There's never money in it. Sure, okay. Like, there's, like not in like a... Obviously, I want to earn money, yeah. and I will occasionally make decisions focused on the, 
the financial side mm. rather than the creative side. I did the spreadsheet for working out how, what I want to spend on the next album, and yes. there were financial decisions made yeah, there, yeah. not creative ones. So I'm not like, yeah, I'd never sell out, man. I'm just waiting for an appropriate fee, basically. Yeah. Um, but like, I started again. I'm 40 years old, so I started with a guitar and a delay pedal yeah. and a four track. Yeah. I never owned a four track, I borrowed four yeah, yeah. tracks. Um, that's where I started. Yeah. Actually, I did own a four track that I got out of the Argos catalog and it wasn't even yes. branded. It wasn't a Yamaha Portro 2. Was it Argos branded or just? Just blank. blank you know, falling off the back of some The lorry. cheapest one, there was no, you couldn't pan the tracks. <laughs> you could, it just literally had a selector for which track and a gain, that was it. Wow. There was no like mixing it on the way yeah. out either. You had to get it right on the way in, which was kind of rad. <laughs> um, but that's where I started and that's where I am at now. Yeah, really. it's kind of cyclical. It's just it? that I'm working out how to do more with less at the moment. Yeah, yeah. The problem is I've worked indoors my whole time life and mm. like the next game soundtrack will pretty much be entirely in the door. Yeah, yeah. I haven't told the dev this yet, but all the vocals are gonna be Vocaloid. Nice. Um, so it, they need to give me another 500 quid on the budget <laughs> so I can buy Vocaloid point yes. five or whatever. So it definitely changes with the project, mm. but changing your process is sometimes a good way to get out of creative ruts, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm up here today, not just to talk to you, I'm gonna to talk to a musician called Nathan Fake, who's oh, yeah. an electronic musician, like fourth album. But he had like a big creative block and mm. he couldn't get out of it until he bought a really janky synth and learned how to use it. Yeah, yeah. You know, called Prophecy, like yeah, the yeah. most complex mono synth on the planet. It's a weird synth that didn't really take off, but you know, him having to work that out was a change in process, mm. you know? So it's that thing of, you have to evolve how you do yeah. a thing, because otherwise you start forming habits. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so now I'm going to bring the drums in. I am going to do, you know? So doing it in different ways is really helpful yeah, to, yeah. whether you're writing traditional songs or creating electronic soundscapes or whatever. That's why I'm always envious of people who are in like eight bands yeah. Because you're constantly changing your process. Yeah, yeah. You're constantly bouncing around, taking on different approaches. Mm. Even if it was eight identical metal bands. It's still, yeah, you'd still you be different still projects. Be picking up yeah. different things from different people. Yeah, definitely. If you can find that many drummers. Oh, there's only one drummer. Oh, fair. Yeah. Everyone just shares yeah. the drummer. He changes hair every time. And so his name's Paul yes. in Reading. Paul the drummer. Yeah. <laughs> Pitt used him on. Pips tour. Oh yeah. And I just made it, found it funny. Like he couldn't even get his own Essex drummer. He had to come to Reading <laughs> and get one of mine. Steal the only one in Reading. Perfect. Um, yeah, it's interesting talking about the, um, the sort of creative restrictions thing. And I've, I, I went in some Wikipedia hole and was learning about the, um, the 30 year trend cycle. Do you know about this? So fashion, music and art repeats itself every 30 years. I wonder if that's why we're seeing cassettes make a big comeback. And I sort of, 
before I saw Heimbach doing it, I found just myself going down this mental train of, oh, I could get DJ turntables, but rather than flipping between beats, I could flip between two different cassette players, A minor, C minor. <gasps> this is crazy. It sounds janky. I love it. And then a few weeks later, I see Heinbach's doing essentially yeah. the same thing. Just, but like, why tape cassettes? dubbing was how hip, we, people always talk about samplers being yeah. the birth of hip hop. It's like the first hip hop tracks were tape dubs. Yeah, true. Yeah. You know, disco evolves into house through the 12 inch edit was literally cutting tape together to yeah, extend yeah. a track. Um, so, but the thing about that 30 year cycle is I don't think it's a predestined thing. Mm -hmm. I don't think that you're always, it's always going to happen. Yeah. It's just that it's interesting to look yes. back, you know, yeah. the stuff me and Jake Hicks teach at the, on the photography work workshop now, because um, we use a huge amount of colored light and mm, gelled light. saturated, yeah. But we're just teaching them the stuff we learned at university right, 20 yeah, odd yeah. years ago. Yeah. You know, like, I just, we get into very narrow views of the world. Like, if you talk to someone who all they're into is modular synths, mm. they see the world in a really specific yeah, way. Yeah. Yet, they all get excited about something because someone, I don't know, it's, you, you're going to gravitate towards what's different, mm. but you're also going to be inspired by what already exists. So yeah, you end up just recycling as, as a culture, which is fine. Yeah. But like this, this idea that cassettes are back, mm. like cassettes as a writing tool mm. never went away. Okay, interesting. You know, I know people who were like digital, like sort of Skrillexy dubstep people who have been using VHS for not ADAT as well, don't yeah, yeah. like literally VHS as just to soften up the bottom end, Interesting. lose some of that digital edge, yeah, but yeah. not have have that loss of quality you'll get yeah, from yeah. cassette. Um, you know, it is from a creative side, I don't think tape went away. I just think that now you can pick up a Tascam Portro 2 yeah. really cheap. You know, the one I'm using was given to me by Look Mom No Computer. Oh, yeah. Um, the other one I've got is a guy called Pete from Pete and the Pirates. Okay. From his band, he lent me that one. So it's kind of like, but you can get them cheap. It's easy to do. There's tutorials, you know. So that is another thing that happens is as technology gets outmoded, you can buy it. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, that's true. There's you can buy an Akai S900 yeah. now for less than 100 quid. Mm -hmm. So maybe you go and use that instead yeah, yeah. of using whatever on your laptop. I don't know, it's interesting. I, yeah, yeah. There's a bit of me that would, in an ideal world, if someone gave me five grand today and told me to do whatever I want, I would build a late 80s studio. <laughs> yes. You know, I would like super limited yeah. step sequences, etc. But yeah, yeah. a lot of digital synths and stuff. But all the stuff you would have if you were just like a working class person building yeah, yeah. a studio, nothing worth any money. <laughs> I think I'd have a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, massively. So we talked a little bit about you're not so concerned or you don't prioritize earning money. 
how do you measure success of one of your releases? If I earn enough money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is money. You lie. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> like, I'm not priori prioritizing um, money on the way in. Sure. But, like, once you've written the record, like, success to me, I've already, if I've chosen to release something, mm. that means I've already got all the dopamine I can from creating it. <laughs> You know, I, I've I've decided it's good enough for the world to hear, and yeah. I'm happy. So I've already won. It's already succeeded in making me happy. The next phase is: can I make the money back? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so in releasing a record, success is not losing cash. Yeah. And and maybe big success is funding the next record yeah. off the last record. Yeah. Yeah. But I know that. The achievement is the writing, but yes. the success is the survival. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to sort of divide it in that way. When it comes down to it, like, I don't think you can measure success anyway. Mm. Like, it's just whether you're happy with it or not. Yeah. And if you're, like, success financially is really hard to yeah, yeah. measure. Like, someone might hear your your thing, they might not buy it, they might hear it on Spotify or whatever, but they may go on and tell a few people and they may buy a t-shirt or whatever. Yeah. It's like, it's really hard to gauge any of it. It yeah, just yeah. comes down to the end of the month, have you paid your rent and are you happy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, I know it's meant to be more rock and roll than that, <laughs> but it's not. And yeah. like bands, like bands are, full of spreadsheets and you know <laughs> I've seen bands like so when you go on tour once you get to a certain level and you got a tour manager tour manager's job their job is just to talk to the promoter mm. make sure shit's sorted like if you've got any special requirements for the front of house desk or mm. like making sure your rider's there me and Pip had the lamest most basic ass like rider but no, it's red like, M&M's no, nothing stuff. like that the only thing was like Pip liked drinking rosé that was okay. actually the only like demand is, that's pretty specific but yeah fair enough but it's not exactly you can get rosé yeah it's not outlandish Tesco yeah you yeah. know so but that was it that was the most complex thing you know have we got Brie for the sound man <laughs> and rosé for Pip um but like, yeah, that's your tour manager's job, but it's just to take all the crappy admin out of your way. Yeah. So you're not the one sitting there booking the travel lodges yeah, and yeah. all that. You know, like I see bands who the tour manager has made them like a laminated book that they carry around with them. And like every page is a day of the tour and that'll tell you, you know, where you are, what time you, you're getting to the venue, yeah. what time sound check is, all that stuff. And, uh, that's actually what a lot of being in a band is. Yeah. It's like timetabling. Just yeah, scheduling, getting everyone in the same room at the same time, like managing your money between yeah. you all is yeah, it's weird. Because it's meant to be this big creative endeavor. And it becomes quite a heavy administrative burden if yeah, you yeah. have success which is a good burden to have. Yeah, yeah so it's one thing like when people like rag on managers oh their management meh 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 it's like yeah but their management's there to make sure that they don't have to think about any of this shit yeah and they can write music like yeah, yeah. there's a lot of managers out there who do 
like amazingly good jobs. Yeah. There are some that are utter scumbags, but yeah, that's yeah. the same with every job. I'm pretty sure you can find a lollipop man or lady who is an utter scumbag, but yeah. most of them are nice people who just want to make sure kids don't die crossing the road. <laughs> so this is about music distribution rather than whatever it was I asked last time. Do you think something's going to kill YouTube or Spotify? Is there going to be any big upheaval in the next few years for music um, distribution? So, neighbouring rights, which is a publishing right issue, is mm. going to be difficult okay. to come to terms with for an international global community. And Because we've got multiple different laws going on. Yeah. So, as we... This is very boring, listeners. But, yeah, like dealing with how you deal with copyright um, in a global marketplace right, yeah. is gonna sting a few people. Mm. Um, on that note as well, there's a thing called the internet safe harbor, which yeah. is why Twitch can get away with not ever, like you can just play copyright stuff on yep. Twitch and all they do is mute it on the VOD. They don't yep. mute it live. The actual live stream. So, if the music and film industry get their asses together and, and deal with that, that will dramatically change mm. what they are. But with all of these things, what will kill these websites is themselves. Yeah. Um, there's not going to be a big sea shift. Like SoundCloud's a great example of a company that had a great idea, mm. who came along at exactly the right time, so they started just before MySpace died. Yeah, yeah. And they were, bear in mind, when MySpace was there, they were one of few places you could upload your music to a flash player and people couldn't just right click and download it. Yeah, yeah. So it was a way of sharing your music without sharing Fear your of music. Being nicked or whatever, yeah. And SoundCloud basically offered that, but with community features of its own. Yeah. And it was like, ooh. And, but artists used to pay to use SoundCloud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like 100 quid a year or something. Yeah. It was a lot of money to get space and all that. But uh, over time, SoundCloud wanted to make money. Yeah. And they killed off their kind of community. They weren't forums, but they were mm. essentially forums. Yeah, yeah. Which killed off all the engagement of the website. And then copyright, people yeah. were like, wait, people are just uploading my track to this. That needs to stop. And then they tried to add a subscription model after Spotify had launched. It was like, but that was just bad management of them. Yeah. And I think what will happen with Spotify is they will eventually become a Netflix model of podcasting, yeah. of yeah. radio, of yeah. that, rather than the music side. The music side will take a step back for yeah, them. Yeah. They'll start crafting exclusive content and that'll be that. And somebody yeah, yeah. else will come in, Apple Music will do what they do. Oof, yeah. But the music industry is not as susceptible to other people coming along and kicking it down. Yeah. Because how many streaming platforms are there? So if know. you upload yeah. via DistroKid, I think yeah. it goes to 200 stores. That sounds right, yeah. yeah but yeah, you got loads of things it's not like one corner trying to survive you know youtube's different youtube what will kill youtube is um 
its complete inability to know what to do about free speech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And its complete inability to know how to deal with fair use and copyright. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. You know, fair use will go to court yeah. sometime in the next, what, let's say two to five years, yeah, yeah. whether that be uh, Lindsay Ellis yeah. and like H-Bomber guy, those guys yeah, yeah. on the left going to deal with it, or the more commercial people. Yeah. Um, and we'll finally get some, it'll go into court and hopefully there'll be a decision and fair use will be defined yes. in terms of YouTube. Yeah, yeah, because that's the tricky thing. It's allegedly hard to prove that something is fair use. But I think yeah, that's... I think as well, like fair use for music uh, hasn't been tested in court. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whereas fair use for some other stuff has, so that stuff's covered sort of yeah. thing. But yeah, what what defines a fair usage? Like making a joke reference where the punchline is a line from a song yeah. isn't satire of that song, yeah. isn't transformative of that song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So even though satire is still a joke, yeah. And it, the joke only works because that song exists. Yeah, yeah, so it's, yeah. and how that court case, whenever it happens, whoever yeah, yeah. runs it, but that court case will come, how that comes out will define the future of YouTube. Yeah, yeah, you know? interesting. But it'll And be it fun. is interesting when music sort of gets, as you say, used to, as a punchline, you sort of, I just, what I want to say is, can you imagine Rick Astley trying to copyright strike all the Rick Rolls in the world? It's never going to happen. But he legally could. Oh, yeah, massively. It's his right to. Yeah. He, well, it's if he had of earlier, maybe there wouldn't be quite so many. There's a weird thing with that. The first time someone does it, mm. that's definitely infringing on his copyright. Yes. Uh, kind of. It depends. It depends. But yeah, pretty much. Broadly, yeah. But after a while, the act of Rick rolling becomes... Um, mimetic, so it becomes it's a reference to that a cultural joke. reference, yeah. and becomes fair game. Yeah, it yeah. almost becomes Creative Commons or yes. like copyright free to rickroll because of how much we've done it. Yeah. Like it was really odd. It's like mm -hmm. uh, Peppy the Frog. Matt Fury has, in recent years, worked really hard to protect his copyright of Peppy the Frog mm. because racists keep using it and putting it on their merchandise. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't, he's not trying to stop you posting frogs in, on Twitter, but that's not how copyright works. Yes, in the second you start actually directly profiting from it. Yes, yeah. like copyright, trademark's even worse. Trademark, like if someone infringes on your trademark and you don't do anything about it, mm then no, no, that's you giving up your trademark. Yeah, yeah. You have to exercise your trademark. Yeah, yeah. Which is weird. That is. Copyright, if you don't do anything about it, you can still come back 10 yeah. years down the line yeah, yeah. and go, come on, guys. Yeah, yeah. You know? Which the Amen Brothers, well, the Winston Brothers yeah, do yeah. the Amen break, break from the song Amen Brother. Good track. Uh, they'll, they'll come down one day. I really wanted to try and make music out of the B-side for Amen Brother. Didn't go anywhere. Just do it out of the brass from yeah. just before the break. Yeah. Or I could just use your vocalization of it there. Yeah. Just That's don't well. sue me for copyright. Well, yeah. Fatboy Slim's not done it yet. I feel like <laughs> it would be bang on him. What would you say to someone who wants to do what you do? 
Which bit of what I do though? Let's just assume someone wants to exactly duplicate your precise career model as it is currently. Um, like find someone more talented than you to ride on the coattails of. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's fair. I was, I was 10% of Dallas versus Scrooby's <laughs> Pit. But yeah, no, like just stumble forward through life. Falling if, forward. If something's <sighs> interesting to you, try to grab hold of it and, yeah. and see where it leads you. Dan Asak, thanks so much for your time, man. No really, worries. Really appreciate it. No Glad we can make this happen. Have a lovely day. Yeah, I'm going to press the stop button. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks to Dan Lassac again, and thanks to The Open in Norwich. You can find Dan Lassac at Dan Lassac, or one word, on Twitter or danlassac.bandcamp.com for his music stuff. If you enjoyed this chat, I would encourage you to subscribe on whatever podcast app you're using at the moment. And also, if you're feeling especially helpful, you can leave a positive review. Until next time, toodaloo.